This podcast is brought to you by Simply Light. Introducing Simply Light Lemonade. Can you hear that? That's the sweet sound of 75% less sugar and calories. We want to make sure you hear it's 75% less sugar and calories because it tastes so good. Happy summer, everyone, and welcome to the Feast's Summer Edition. While we're on break until Season 3, we wanted to give you a few short interview-based episodes to keep you from going too hungry for the feast over the summer. Over the last year or so, we've had the chance to talk to some great people who are doing some pretty amazing things in both food and in history. So these short episodes are our way of sharing their work with you. It's often material that we couldn't quite fit into a normal episode, but we still wanted to highlight. So today, we're featuring an interview with award-winning Arizona bartender Joshua James. It's a conversation we recorded back in February of 2018, when we visited Phoenix as part of our mini-lecture tour on women in cocktail history. And so... Buried deep in the archives of the Arizona Republic newspaper, I happened upon the recipe for the oldest known Arizona-themed cocktail. No, not the Tequila Sunrise, but something that's called, appropriately enough, the Arizona Statehood. Which, ironically, was a drink that debuted in 1910, two full years before Arizona officially became a state. So, how did the statehood drink come before statehood itself? Well, you can read the whole story in the summer 2018 edition of Edible Phoenix. It's also where you can find both the original recipe for the 1910 version of the cocktail, plus an updated version of the drink, ready for the 21st century. And it was Joshua James, co-owner and head bartender of the Clever Koi restaurant in downtown Phoenix, who helped us update this vintage recipe for the 21st century. Now, Joshua James is no slouch when it comes to cocktails. He won the 2018 Last Slinger Standing Cocktail Competition, has successfully managed the cocktail program at the Clever Coy for the last few years, and is even now hard at work at opening another cocktail-focused restaurant called Sky Song, due to open later this fall. But even with his vast, and I mean vast, cocktail knowledge, the Arizona Statehood cocktail was new territory for him. He certainly wasn't alone. This cocktail, which originally was developed by Mike O'Leary, the head bartender of Phoenix's long-gone Ford Hotel back in 1910, appears to have been entirely lost to the sands of time. Now, what exactly was the reason for an Arizona cocktail drink in 1910? You see, back then, the U.S. government had just given the Arizona Territory the go-ahead to draft a state constitution— one of the many, many necessary steps needed for the as-was territory to finally achieve statehood. So, in a bit of, if you forgive the phrase, celebratory bureaucracy mixology, O'Leary went ahead and created the statehood drink, which blended half a jigger of rye whiskey, half a jigger of Dubonnet, a dash of gum syrup, Angostura bitters, a little bit of ginger ale, and a cherry. It was a light easy drink. Perfect for southwestern summers. But, unfortunately, by 1912, the date when Arizona actually became a state, 
It's not clear how many were raising a glass of Arizona statehoods to celebrate. The drink appears to have been forgotten almost as soon as it was developed. But no longer. With the help of Joshua James and his ample supplies over at the Clever Coy's bar, we were intent on bringing back this classic cocktail. Back in February, we had the chance to sit down with Joshua and chat a bit about the cocktail, how drinking tastes might have changed since 1910, and what exactly makes the cocktail so Arizona-y anyway. If you're looking for the full original recipe, you can find it at our website at thefeastpodcast.org. But don't forget to check out the article in the current Edible Phoenix magazine, which we'll provide a link to as well, so you can get the details of Joshua's updated version of the drink. As an utterly Arizona drink, of course, it's perfect sipping for the summer. trying to get my history credential. Yeah, um, so what did you think of the recipe, actually? So the recipe is, uh, it's definitely got the, like, kind of old-school parameters where it's, like, half a jigger, a dash of this, you know, so, like, you you know, try to play it out to how it is, you know, in, in terms of modern bartending, I guess. But um, we made one, I made one earlier. We don't use ginger ale. We use ginger syrup that's locally sourced. Um, but really, really fun little cocktail. Um, we added a little bit of acid to it just to brighten it up a little bit because it did kind of be, tend to be a little bit sweeter yeah. with the Dubonnet. And, um, we don't use Dubonnet personally. We use the Let products for a lot of that kind of stuff. But Let Rouge is perfect like substitute for Dubonnet. And just because I feel the rye whiskey, all right, people, people will probably know. But Dubonnet, can you maybe just explain what, what it yeah, is? Yeah, so Dubonnet is a fortified wine. Um, I, my first experience was with it was I used to work at a uh, martini bar in Scottsdale called AZ88. Whole town's been there forever. And we always had a bottle in the back of this top shelf of one of the coolers. And it was all crusted and nobody ever ordered it. And I never knew what it was. And it took me like, I worked there for about eight years. It took me about in my fifth, sixth year to finally pull out and try it. You know, this is like obviously prior to... Um, the, I guess the renaissance of bartending, or the, not the renaissance, that would be a wrong term, but kind of the resurgence of bartending using classic ingredients. And I remember the story that I was told about Dubonnet is that it was everybody used to drink, just drink it neat, you know, and it's fortified wine spirit and, um. Like an aperitif or something like that or? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. But so we use the Let Rouge, um, which is a very similar thing. It's a French, French aperitif that's made with wine, lower alcohol, uh, fortified with aromatics, all kinds of stuff in it. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, we did very little investigation about the history of Dubonnet, but it does seem to still be a little bit of a closely guarded secret as far as how yeah, the exactly. flavoring. You know, it's it's like any anything else that kind of comes from that period of. Uh, of time is there you, there's always a secret involved and which makes sense i mean as far as you know like the uh integrity of the product so to speak so, and so when using it in a cocktail would you use like a fortified wine as a sweetener or i mean what, what usually we when we use fortified wines we will either lean on them for a little bit of sweetness um but not use like a ton of sugar sweetness in it or we'll use them to lengthen a cocktail you know, add a little bit of space between it. We actually use a lot of fortified wines in our in our drink program, and we have for a long time. Um, anywhere from vermouths to sherries to Madeiras to 
anything. You know, they're they're really great. They're very complex, and they add a lot of depth and and flavor into cocktails. So. Yeah. Um, and then what kind of what kind of rye did you go with for the updated version? Or? I went to my go-to, which is Rittenhouse rye. That's like our workhorse rye. We use it um, when we can for a lot of our for our classic cocktails. Um, just particularly because of the proof, it's 50 proof, which is, you know, most ryes tend to be like 45, 50, but Rittenhouse for me is like the quintessential workhorse rye. Awesome. So we have the the ginger syrup. Um, we've got um, Olet. The, the fortified wine that you used instead of the oh, Dubonnet. Oh, yeah. Um, and then we got the rye, and then, um, so, and you said you added a bit of citrus to it? To yeah, the and, then, well, and then the gum syrup, too, which oh, we already yeah. use in-house. We, we used to make our own gum syrup. Um, over the years, we've transitioned into Small Hands, which is a company out of California. They make really amazing syrups. Uh, the lady that owns it does a great job. She makes pineapple gum, raspberry gum, all true to the recipe um, of using gum Arabic mixed with simple syrup. Um, just the viscosity in it is great. It's like it's a really awesome product, and I thought my gum syrup was pretty good, but hers is a lot better. She but she and she gets some like little subtle flavors in there too, which is cool. Because awesome, we gotta say we looked for gum arabic because we were gonna try and make this, and this could not be found for love or money in Canada as far as the actual gum arabic, yeah. and we didn't even know that there were yeah. folks making already the bartending. Yeah. And you know, it's 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 a lengthy process. Not it's not a lengthy process, but it definitely takes more than a day to make. Um, it can go awry really quickly. It can it can clump up on you, and then you go yeah, it's. Okay, so maybe less, best left to the professionals. Yeah, small, small Hands is a great company. There's other companies that make gum syrup. Small Hands has always been my go-to. And then uh, the cherry in is it? Is it just maraschino cherry? or? Uh, we use um, we use Amarena cherries. But yeah, but still, a brandy soaked cherry. Okay. So. And then um, how are you serving it? Like, how do you think? I, 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 when, I, when I heard it, I envisioned it to be in a Collins glass tall, you know, typical, like, soda cocktail you know lengthen it out it seems like to me like if the idea behind it was to have it be a refreshing arizona inspired it's obviously very hot here during the summer and not very cold during the winter so i mean you can those kind of drinks tend to if you think about other iconic arizona cocktails the, the most iconic being the um tequila sunrise another cocktail tall always served tall you know light refreshing yeah, good yeah. good for an Arizona summer. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. So yeah, did you see? I mean, it's a really short piece, but I was actually surprised about what consisted of an Arizona cocktail in 1910. I mean, do you see anything that's like okay, this this speaks to Arizona in this recipe? I mean, there's I don't think there's anything necessarily that is like um, identifiably Arizona, um, but it does make sense in in to me that it would be like a refreshing relatively dryish. I mean, cocktails, you know, pre-prohibition um, and then after, shortly afterwards, tend to be drier, or not not drier, excuse me, sweeter. Um, not a lot of citrus involved in them. A lot of cocktail, I mean, if you really look at a lot of those drinks, very few of them had citrus. And if they did, it was very minute. So and maybe the palate was sweeter back then, or maybe the ingredients were less sweet and they've just become sweeter over the years, so they've been balanced. I mean, I guess what we think about in you know, modern bartending is, is balance. You know, and I think that's really kind of transitioned the spirit world and the cocktail world into a little bit different than how it used to be as far as traditionalism is concerned. So you're finding a lot more 
demand for kind of citrus forward beverages or do you yeah you, you know yeah i mean it, you have your i think it's obviously it's it's preferential to the person some people like stirred cocktails i like stirred cocktails um but our most popular cocktails are always going to be citrus forward I mean, I'd love to know a little bit more about your own bartending past as far as how you got into yeah. into the world of mixology. Um, so, like I said, I started at AZ88 when I was 21. I've worked in restaurants prior to that. I've been working in this business since I was 15. Um, and that, in, that in, in the sense that uh, I started bartending there when I was 21, I worked till that was roughly 28, 29. And those, the cocktail program there is classic driven, not necessarily technique driven, um, but you know, it's, it's got its, its place. And um, after that I left to manage the bar at the parlor, which is in uh, Phoenix on 18th and Camelback. That's when we really started pushing it more. We I've kind of got like more car blanche to do whatever we wanted over there and um, made a nice little name for what we were doing in our program and um, started to get some recognition for it. And then my partner and I, we, we, we left there to open Clever Koi. That was a little, that was like over four years ago for, for this location. Our Gilbert location has been a, about a year, over a year now. Um, and we were, the ability of like the concept of what we were doing, especially with the food, um, gave, us, uh, gave us an in to really push the cocktail program to what at least was being done on a national level. Um, so we, we, we really took it left of center. I mean, we really came up with these really wild cocktail menus. And then we kind of pulled it back a little bit. And now it's more like centered around traditionalism, but having a primary focus on new spirits, new flavor combinations, and just using the best product that we can use. So how would you say the cocktail program matches maybe with the menu, or how do you see them integrating or blending or yeah. complementing each other? Yeah. As a, as a whole, like, um, pairing cocktails with food is not the easiest thing to do. I mean, there's, you know, the people who tell you otherwise are lying to you, I assume. But um, there, there are some nuances to cocktails that you can really pair well with food. For us, being an Asian restaurant, we do have uh, tend to have spicier, acidic um, food items. So with that, we try to always keep our cocktails balanced. We do have a couple of sweeter things that work really well with spicier food. We do have drier things that don't work, you know, that work better with non-spicy food. But um, as a whole, you know, we, we try to incorporate some a lot of Asian ingredients into our cocktails. We have that nice whole tie and synergy with the kitchen. So a lot of stuff that they use, we use. And I mean, especially here at Central, our bars and our, our bar and our kitchen are kind of a cohesive unit of sorts, split by just like a little three-foot divider. But... So they, we've the, I, that was the idea behind designing this restaurant and opening this restaurant is that we wanted, um, we wanted those two worlds to come together and have it be kind of like this is this is the show of the restaurant. So if you're on this side of the you know where we're sitting now, you can see kind of everything that's going on and they kind of work in unison and they all feed off each other's energy, which is really more the the, the focus of how we built this bar and more importantly that kitchen too. So, so what would you say is your your favorite cocktail right now on the menu? My favorite cocktail on the menu now and will always be the License to Drive, which is uh, is kind of a loose riff on a Boulevardier. It's got Rittenhouse, Rye, of course, um, Capoletti Vino Aperitif, and then um, a Salar Cream Sherry, Angostura bitters and orange bitters. It's stirred and served up with a flamed orange peel. 
like really beautiful um, hints of the sherry, hints of the, the capoletti, which is very similar to Campari and Aperol, you know, it's Italian bitter. Um, nice orange notes in it, but very bright and just a really, for me, like the way I like to drink, I like bitter cocktails. I love sherry, I love rye whiskey, so it's like all those things kind of put together made it my favorite cocktail. Yeah. Is that also your best seller? Or? It's not our best seller. Our best seller is the cocktail that we've had on the menu since day one. It's called the Enabler. It's, uh, yeah, and I, that's probably part of it. People love the drink too, but then the name definitely helps sell it. Um, it is, uh, so we take Dickel 12 year whiskey, we uh, grill lemons, then we smoke the lemons with hickory wood before we juice them. Um, grade B maple syrup. So like rich, robust, you know, not sweet, definitely like that darker, robust flavor of maple. Um, smoked Maldon sea salt, and then we use a uh, bitters called burlesque bitters, which is from Bitterman's, which is uh, primarily like hibiscus in there. So it's got a little bit of floralness to it, but it's 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 our version of a whiskey sour. It's very smoky. It's it's kind of a little bit heartier, but. Um, since we've since we've opened, it's always been the most popular cocktail. It's As never, you're describing never dropped it, yeah. out of that one uh, that one spot. So. That would have me sold. Like I mean, the smokiness, yeah. the salt. Yeah. I can see why it's a it's a bestseller. Yeah, yeah. So do you have a? Um, I mean, kind of. You have your own cocktail program, and then you obviously know a whole lot about the more traditional and the classic program. Do you have a go-to classic that you? Yeah, yeah. If I can, if I know that it'll be made um, properly, I always get an old fashioned. It's like one of my favorite cocktails, especially when it's done right. It's such a simple drink. For whatever reason, could be hard to execute at a lot of places. You know, there's so many variations of like the muddled cherry brandy old fashioned that made its way to the Midwest and to all parts of the United States somehow. Um, but I do, I do enjoy Negroni too. I do enjoy Aperol spritzes, but old fashioned is always going to be my go-to. Yeah. Is there also a drink that you feel has been maybe neglected that like deserves to have a, a comeback trend? Yeah, you know, we we tried it for a little bit. My like one of my favorite cocktails is an Adonis, and that's a so that's a split base um, of. Sweet vermouth and sherry stirred up. It's a low alcohol cocktail, which I think scares a lot of people. We tried to do a low alcohol menu, you know, like a little side side parts of our menu, and it wasn't well received. There are people that appreciate it. I think I think it's the mindset of, oh, I'm going out to get a drink. I'm not going to get a low alcohol cocktail, but you know, such is life. But lengthy lengthy cocktails and like having to be able to, the ability to be able to go out and have four or five drinks and not be on the floor or not get, you know, too intoxicated, I think is relatively important, but, you know, it'll catch up. Yeah, it'll yeah. I mean, that's the thing is, is, you know, there are trends that come and go in the cocktail world, obviously, like with anything. Is there a trend you'd really like to see happen in the cocktail world? You'd like to see a, a heavier focus on something? Or a yeah, on you, something? yeah, you know, I, I, honestly, I think my biggest pet peeve is I, I would just like to see simplicity come back to the cocktail world. Um, which I think is happening in droves across the country. You see, like, the less weird stuff coming out, you know, and I try to keep my guys focused on doing simple three, four-ingredient cocktails. I think one of the hardest things to do is do a three-ingredient cocktail, and it's very challenging for a lot of people to do simple, simple, balanced 
flavor forward cocktails. But I th if, if there was a trend that I could see catch on or do really well, I think that would be the one I would focus on. Yeah, yeah simple. Just yeah, back yeah. to. I think it, not just not just beverage, but it's food too. I think you see a lot of a lot of what are becoming very popular restaurants across the United States are going back to traditional cooking methods are getting away from the sous vide, getting away from the molecular gastronomy and yeah yeah all that you know and, that, and that's great and it has its place and there's a lot of people that do that really well and I'm not knocking that style but I think for the average consumer to go out and enjoy a meal I'm not going to go out and eat molecular gastronomy four times a week you know but I will go out and have like a really well-made traditional meal you know that, that kind of feeds my soul more than it does feed my brain to a certain extent so and certainly there are Fewer places to hide in a simpler is, dish yeah. no, or yeah, no beverage. No, um, that's a big. That's a big part of it. There's no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Once again, that was Joshua James, co-owner and head bartender of the Clever Koi, a fantastic Asian-inspired kitchen with a, needless to say, cocktail-forward bar, located in downtown Phoenix, right on Central Avenue. You can find out more about the restaurant at theclevercoy.com or, of course, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at clevercoy. You can also find out more about Joshua's updated Arizona statehood cocktail recipe in this summer's edition of Edible Phoenix, available now throughout the Phoenix area and, of course, online. We'll be back soon with another special summer edition of The Feast, but until then, why not enjoy a cold cocktail during these hot summer months? May I recommend the Arizona statehood? We're also about to head out on a massive New England and East Coast Canadian road trip. And trust me, when we travel, there's food involved. A lot of food. We'll be posting all our delicious finds along the road on Instagram and Twitter. Follow along at feast underscore podcast. Until then, I'm Laura Carlson, and this is The Feast. Tonight on NBC. Will everyone in the cardiac surgical department please raise your hands? Thank you. You're all fired. Based on an inspiring true story. Any department who places billing above care, you will be terminated. One doctor will break every rule. Just tell me what you need, what your patients need. To inspire a revolution. Let's get into some trouble. Let's be doctors again. From the network that brings you This Is Us, New Amsterdam, tonight on NBC. This podcast is brought to you by Simply Light. Introducing Simply Light Lemonade. Can you hear that? That's the sweet sound of 75% less sugar and calories. We want to make sure you hear it's 75% less sugar and calories because it tastes so good. The Podglomerate. A sonic universe. Tonight on NBC. Will everyone in the cardiac surgical department please raise your hands? Thank you. You're all fired. Based on an inspiring true story. Any department who places billing above care, you will be terminated. One doctor will break every rule. Just tell me what you need, what your patients need. To inspire a revolution. Let's get into some trouble. Let's be doctors. Again. From the network that brings you This Is Us. New Amsterdam. Tonight on NBC.